Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I use my difference by pointing out to others that they can be whatever it is that they choose to be. That there will be obstacles in that process. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But whatever you choose to be and do, you can pursue it and do it. I wanted to be in the pro athlete realm. I want, but I thought it would be plain. But it wasn't. It was me doing what I'm doing now. But I still made it to the pro athlete realm. So we can do whatever we choose. So it may look different, but I get to be a facilitator and supporter of that work, and that's what I'm always excited about. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Dr. Corey Yeager. Dr. Corey Yeager, as you soon find out, is a fascinating man. I know I use fascinating a lot, but I, I really mean it when I talk about Dr. Yeager here because his career path from sports to psychology, and then sports, and then sports and psychology, gives you insight into human behavior. Many of you know I study human behavior for a living, but a lot of what we don't get to do as we are navigating life as humans. Is to understand how we are feeling and what that means to acknowledge how we're feeling. Today, we dive into those episodes. His book is a great, great, great resource for you if you're considering how to ask yourselves the right questions to save your life, to advance your life, and to acknowledge the habits that you need to unlearn as well as the habits that you need to form. Hopefully, you have your pens out, your pencils, or your computer, however you take notes, and you follow him. You buy his book, then you gift it to others, and you make this an exercise that you can share with people that you love. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Team Psychotherapist MBA's Detroit Pistons. That's right, MBA Detroit Pistons. Dr. Yeager works to give athletes open environments to express and explore their challenges. He finds that frank dialogue helps not only individual athletes, but entire teams, and also assures that this is something that happens in the entire society. His new book, How Am I Doing?, is an extension of his mission to enhance individual self-wellness through self-work that starts with getting to know the person behind the mirror. Welcome to the show. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. Glad to be with you this morning. Pleasure is mine. I have a few questions for you. First one, who's the person in the mirror, Dr. Yeager? Who's the person in the mirror? I think that's the question that we should all be seeking to understand better. I think the the person is in the mirror oftentimes very misunderstood. The person in the mirror is oftentimes very lonely because we don't engage with that person, right? Actually, we're more avoidant of that person in the mirror than anyone else. Everyone else will engage and ask how they're doing and learn about their story and 
But that man or that woman in the mirror, we kind of avoid because they hold all secrets in our lives. I mean, oftentimes we don't want those. We don't want to. We don't want to understand those secrets more or really think about those secrets. So we avoid that man or that woman in the mirror. So I think there's a lot of aspects to the man or the woman in the mirror, but we have to better understand all of them. I couldn't agree more. And you say something about self wellness and self worth. Your book is all about questions we need to ask ourselves, and I believe that. Asking the right questions can be the difference between saving your life and having your life go into the opposite direction. You know, we like to be introspective here. Nothing is more introspective than the question how you're doing. However, a lot of people listening to this podcast are they're aspiring change makers or people who are in the process of changing careers or just figuring out what it is that they want. And it's still a tough question for them to answer. They don't know what their niche is. They don't know who they're supposed to be because the version of who they've been is someone that was told to them. So I'm guessing, what can you say and offer in form of advice as a starting question? Well, I think one of the things that you just said is most important is most people are who society has told them that they should be. This, hey man, that kid, hey, you're so big, you should play basketball. And then everyone in your life, as you grow and get bigger, do you play, where do you hoop? Oh my God, you should hoop. So then at some point, that kid starts to believe, I guess that's what I'm supposed to be in this world as a basketball player, because it's all I really have heard. So then they pursue that, not really knowing or doing much work on who they truly are. They're just moving with what they've been told they should be. So I think this is an important understanding that we have to have. But in terms of questions that we must ask ourselves to better understand self, one of the things, so I ask you, you probably see what you say on this. So who knows you best in this whole wide world? Who knows you best? You see, I've done my research. so I know what your answer is, but I didn't always think it was going to be me. I wouldn't have said myself. Now I believe it, but I, sometimes I thought me parents or it could be your best friend, but I was listening to you and you said, it's you, it's you. You're the person that knows yourself the best. Isn't that simple? I mean, if we think about that, isn't that simple? Because my mom just moved in with us not long ago and my wife is here all the time taking care of us and all kinds of things. My wife knows a ton of things about me that my mom will never know. My mom knows things about me that my wife will never know. My friends know things that my wife will never So that means everyone's got a portion of your story. But the only person in the world that has the whole story is the man or the woman in the mirror. So if we don't do the work to engage that person, to understand that person, then I think it's all for naught. I think we're missing the boat. And if we do that work, then that, in my mind, means that we show up in the world a better version of ourselves. That should be the task. I want to show up the best version of self. So that's just a quick and dirty version of what I think is important in terms of asking yourself. I couldn't agree with you more. And for me, when I made that shift of just realizing that I have that responsibility of really asking myself the right questions, but also knowing myself, there was a deep part that I had to come to terms with, the parts of yourself that you don't like. I think a lot of us, whether we're dealing with trauma and you're a psychotherapist, we don't do a good service to our inner child because we don't like what that is saying about us. You know, maybe we're lazier than we thought we are, or we're not as qualified as we thought we are. We're not who we thought we are. And then that means you have to sit with that discomfort. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do that introspection work because- Looking at something that is not who you recognize. Doesn't feel good. And one thing you just said, you talked about that inner child. The thing that we also know is that inner child oftentimes can be bruised. There were moments in life that that inner child, that seven-year-old version, 10-year-old version of ourselves was hurt. 
But then what happens usually when that 10-year-old version is hurt, it finds ways to have coping mechanisms to protect itself. So the 10-year-old version will do things that says, okay, I'll act very, I'll be very shy in my life because it'll protect me. But then the 40-year-old version is still being shy, but it doesn't need that protection anymore. So I'm 40 years old, still using the same mechanism that the 10-year-old created. There becomes a point that you say, you know, I don't think I really need that any longer. It protected me for a while, but I don't need it anymore. But you can't really get to that understanding unless you first understand who you are and how you came to be. Before football, who did you think you are? After football, who did you find out that you are? Before football ended, I thought I was only and fully a football player with no real academic, mental capacities per se, right? I could learn to play in the playbooks and I had a high football IQ, but that's where I thought it ended. Like, that's who I am. I'm a physical being, a 6'3", 320. I'm going to be a horse. That's what I am. That's all I really know. Um, And I was okay with that. And everyone in my life was okay with that. But then when football ended, I was lost. I'm like, okay, so football's done. I thought I was going to be a multimillionaire off of this football thing and it didn't work out that way. And now I didn't get my degree. I didn't do anything. So now I was lost. I was wayward. I was a nomad. I was floating. But then I met my wife and my wife saw something in me that I hadn't seen in myself. That she pushed and prodded me to go back to school and pursue something that I didn't think I had the ability to be a thinker. But once she pushed and prodded and I went back into that realm, I fell in love with academia and ended up getting a PhD. And if there had been another degree that I could have got higher than that, I probably would have pursued it. (laughs) After football was done, I had to have someone that saw something in me that helped spark it. But then once it sparked, I took over and said, oh, okay, I can be something more. There is more to me than just blocking and tackling and all those things. And I'm still exploring that. I'm still discovering who the heck I can be because... With each experience, I become a different version of me. I'm different today than I was yesterday. We all should be. If we're not, we didn't do it right yesterday. So we should do it right today. So that means I'm still trying to discover exactly who I am every day. It's a discovery process, and I'm excited about that. You know, and I think that's such an important distinction to make. I think many people think who you are or who you're supposed to be is a fixed thing. You you made a key statement there by saying you're still discovering that who you are today is now who you are tomorrow. And I think that becomes the downfall of many relationships, you know, romantic or, you know, friendships, because as people achieve something, people will say, you changed (laughs) or you're not the same type of person you are, or I didn't marry this version of who you are. And then it's that idea of not asking the right questions and growing with the person or even figuring out if this is the person that you need to love from afar. And there's that, there's that dynamic there. So I think that's important to make as a distinction. That's extremely important. And we have to learn that process. It's not like we just wake up and we understand that, that our experiences help us to learn and see the world different. I think that context is critically important. One thing that we seek, we tend to do when we don't like something and we don't understand it, is that we start to tighten the context or diminish the context. If I get rid of the context, it's easy just to say, well, do this and you should be that. Well, if you think about race, if you decontextualize race, it's easy to say to people, you should just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, you guys should just figure it out. Yeah, because that's you decontextualized all the things that happened to people of color. So put the context back in. What happened over that 400-year journey? 
so that context is an important space. I think it's the same for relationships and the same for individuals. We should be seeking to broaden and deepen the context, not shrink it. The more we understand the context and how it's impacted us, the better we will be as we move through life. I think that's really, it's simple, but it's quite important. I think it's also important to parallel this. I love that you brought race as a conversation because there's a simple way of having that conversation, which strips anyone off nuance. You get over it. What, what's the problem? Well, I did this. You didn't do that. But you don't really know the larger story or the context is what sets up generational wealth or, you know, just generational trauma, speaking of trauma and all those. You take away generational wealth and trauma, you're not telling the full story. The same story I'm thinking, you know, I, I run a diversity equity inclusion firm and we're often talking about performance. And whenever performance comes into play, I always ask the managers and leaders, if you know who these people are before the workplace, do you know what they deal with? Right. Because, you know, I, if you're a woman, maybe I live in New York City, you're a woman, you deal with several levels of harassment, walk in every block, then you come to work, that's affected your mood. And you're like, <laughs> but you're like, wait, everybody's here. What, what's your big deal? That's right. Same thing with the death of George Floyd and what was happening with a lot of black kings and queens everywhere is the idea of this is the outside conversation happening, but everybody else is like, just get to work. What is the big deal? Why is this affecting you? But it's not, it's not conversation. No, and, you, and what you were seeking to do in your work, in that DEI work is when you ask people, do you know of your employees outside of this? Do you know that you're seeking to contextualize the employee? And I think that in life, everything we do, the more context you give me, the more informed decision I can make. The more informed, and that's really all we should be really searching for and looking for, is let me have more info, because the more info you give me, the better decision I can make. We should always want more context. There's very few situations, and none that I can think of, that we should say we don't want context. Oh, I don't want any more context to that. I've got enough. If there's more available, I'll take it. Another concept you bring up in your book, as I, you know, I was going through, you talk about this concept of the wildest dreams. You believe in something, you know, we should have this macro, micro. When you ask players what their wildest dreams are, do they often know? Well, they often look around and say, well, I'm living it. I'm living it, right? That NBA life, I'm, I look around and my wildest dreams come from being seven years old saying, I like this basketball thing. And everyone around me, when I'm eight years old, gets really excited when I play this game. So now all of a sudden my wildest dream was, man, maybe I could do what I see Michael Jordan doing or Kobe Bryant doing. Maybe someday I could do that. So as I asked them, it's easy, almost easy for them to look around and say, well, I'm in the midst of it. But then I usually ask a follow-up question. If you're in the midst of your wildest dream, then have you sought to extend that dream and say, okay, what's the next wildest dream? So you got that one. Beautiful. Now what's next? You're not going to play this until you're 80. You're not going to say, well, I just, I'm in my, my wildest dream. I'll do this for the next 65 years. It doesn't work that way. You're going to get 15 years at this, at a run at this, maybe 20 if you're exceptional. Then what? So then you're now you're 40 years old. At probably at the highest, you're going to be, at the oldest, you're going to be 40. You got a whole lot of life left. What now is the new version of a wildest dream? And even as they're in the midst of that first wild dream, being able to set up and think about what your next one will be. So you can already be pursuing the next one as you're in the midst of the first one, which is crazy. So important. I mean, look, it happens all the time. Now, now I watch 
a lot of sports media. I like you, I, I thought I was going to be an athlete. <laughs> I didn't quite grow past six one, and I, I'm also from Nigeria, so my my parents weren't hearing anything about basketball. <laughs> they don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, like no, you better go doctor, lawyer, engineer. Oh, you're a failure. But <laughs> so I play sports in my life, but I, I've always found the metaphor for that, and because of that, I watch a lot of sports media. Now you see a lot of. What is the pivot, which is a podcast by a lot of athletes, uh, former football players, or I'm athlete, whatever you're watching. Some of the conversations that the athletes have on there is, I don't know, I, my, my schedule was all regimented. And now I don't even understand. I have all these millions of dollars, but what am I supposed to do? I don't know if I like my wife. I don't know if I like my kids. I don't know if I'm good at anything else. What's going to happen? And you see, you hear the statistics. They go dead, maybe self-harm. Multiple things happen to the several people. And it's because of that thing that you're saying, maybe they didn't quite sit with what their next wildest dream was and start working towards that. If we think about that, it would be hard to do that. What I just described of thinking about your next wildest dream when you're in the midst of your first, it would be hard. And I get that. I think it's something that they should strive towards. But I also understand that's not easy because if we have a wildest dream and then one day we wake up and we're in the middle of it. And someone said, now get ready to start thinking about your next one. We'd say, dude, I'm just, I'm, let me enjoy this one. You got me thinking about my next one. I just got here and this was my wildest dream. And so I get it that it would be hard to try to extend that into the next version. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to focus in that space and try to be thoughtful about that, but also get how complex that is and how hard that is. I think it's important to recognize that you can be limitless. So when I look at, this is not me being biased because I have a LeBron jersey behind me. When you look at athletes like LeBron or even Kevin Durant or anyone, right? All these athletes who are now establishing things outside of basketball or any of the sports that they play, it's a recognition of maybe influence you have and the ability to set up a team. And one of my favorite things watching LeBron grow up was this idea of I'm going to set up the people around me for success. So when I have Maverick, I'm going to have all my people, you be the agent, you run the media armor and all these things, go to school, learn about that. I think that's important as well. You empower your environment. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And sure that you're putting yourself with people that can make you smarter. And that way, whatever is going to happen afterwards is still going to be feeding you because you're constantly challenging yourself in fields that you might not be an expert in. One of the things that just, uh, so as I watch 
what LeBron has done in terms of building his brand and not only building his brand, but bring, bringing along his people with him. LeBron would say, they've been my dog since we was in middle school all the way back. And I've stayed true to that. I think it reminds me of what W.B. Du Bois wrote about in the early 1900s. And he described it as in the black community, the talented tent that about 10% of the African-American community at that time, he thought would be very talented and that it was our job to bring the 90% that was left up with us, pull them up, pull them up. They may not have the talent that you have, but you must find ways to pull them up into those higher echelons of our community or understanding. And I don't know, I like the concept that Du Bois comes with. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, because I believe that it's less than 90 percent. It's less than 90 percent. And I'm also a believer that even the 90 percent is a genius in a space that the 10 percent is not. Bars. Yeah. Yes. Right. That that 90 percent. If you if I may be a genius, I would say that in the book I talk about what is your genius. That's one of the things that I have questions I ask. But what I talk and describe in the book is that we all have a genius. My genius is building relationships. If you give me time and meet me and give me a couple of hours to hang with you, when I walk away, most people end up saying, I like that dude, man. I don't know why. Somebody in my life. My genius is relationship building. But if you take me out to a car and open the hood and start saying, we got to fix something, I'm going to stare at you with a blank stare because I have no idea what you're talking about. That person that understands under that hood has got a version of genius. But we discount that. That's why you would say there's only a talented tenth that are great thinkers. Yeah, but there's other. Everybody got something. What we got to do is is respect and learn how to meld that together. I couldn't agree with you more because that's how teachers teach today. You know, a lot of teachers, they don't recognize. I was asking a question about workplace. Who is your employee outside? They don't know the students well enough. And so if you're not good at math, English or any of these things, we're not going to find out if you're dyslexic but you are really artistic with all these other things and you have a creative thing. It's just like, no, you failed because you got a 65 and you're supposed to get at least a 70 to pass. So come back here. And then you discourage this person. This person thinks he's not smart or she's not smart. They're not smart. And then they go, well, there's nothing I can do because we teach uh, learning as if it's only in institutions when it's a life. Wouldn't it be really crappy to know that a turtle would be measured by its genius and its ability if you told it to climb a tree. You got you got to climb a tree. If you don't climb that tree, then you're not good. The turtle's not built for that. It's not built for that. So if you set it up to, hey, this is the measure of intelligence or the measure of success, the turtle by default's always going to look silly and stupid and, and we're all going to laugh at it because we've set it up in a way to say the measure of success it's something I know you can't achieve. That's why I set it up. That's why I said that's the measure, because I knew you couldn't do it. So we have to understand, especially for students, and I think your point is extremely important. My work before the MBA was in the school systems. It's probably my most passionate work has been in the school system, that teachers do not take the time, to your point, to build meaningful, genuine relationships with our kids. Because if you do, you'll know them. You'll know where they're really strong. You'll know where they're weak. So you can help teach towards that weakness and help build up that strength. But if I don't know you, get meaning. If I decontextualize you and take all the context away, you're just student number 107 in my second hour class. Then it's easy to just say, look at the turtle. 
Can't climb the tree. It's not really worth anything. Get it out of here. It's so dismissive too, because then one of the questions you ask is, do you have a, a is it a, a self-talk? Do you have a positive, an encouraging inner voice? Yes. That inner voice conversation. So I'm also a professor and I teach uh, public speaking is one of my things. And one of the things I always notice during the first couple of days of class, professor, I can't do it. Uh, no, 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 I hate, I hate speaking. I'm not a good talk. I can't, I can't talk. I can't speak. My voice is this. I, I stammer. I do all these things. And it's already what is happening. And they're doing this in front of the class. And after they've done it, I always ask them, did you think you set yourself up for failure or do you think you understood what was happening? And they're like, yeah, but that person talks with such clear addiction and I've never been a good speaker. And my mom said this and that. And I said, well, let's work at that. Right. But there isn't a form of that where people recognize that the inner talk is something that can be switched or decontextualized or even just adopted so that you don't have that comparison. Bit. Yeah. And I think the key to all of that is first recognizing that, the, that there's a voice going on in our minds and our heads all the time. As I'm speaking right now, you are speaking to yourself. I don't have to ask that. I know that everybody, if you're talking to someone and they're listening to you, they're saying, what question am I going to ask next? Oh, I don't think I agree with what he said. Or That dialogue is always going on. The conversations are always internally happening. The internal dialogue is always moving. So if we can pay attention to that dialogue, we'll start to recognize if it's positive or negative. I would tell you, many people, it's very negative. God, I'm stupid. I didn't get that done. I can't speak in front of people. I'm going to compare myself to that person that went first and did the speech in the class, and they're so good at their addiction is so clear and I'm not going to be right. I'm just, I'm tightening myself up over all this anxiousness. It's a negative self-talk. But if I tune in and I hear that, I can also say, stop doing that. Hold on. I'm not going to be negative with myself. I say it all the time that there are enough people in this world that will line up to be negative against you. Don't join that line. Don't stand in line with the people that will see you as negative or not as positive. Don't stand in line with them. We have to find ways that we can be positive each and every day. And it takes us to be tuned into it and then do something about changing that self-talk. It's extremely important. I could talk to you for hours because I, it always leads into the next <laughs> question. But what you're saying, I think, leads into what I was going to ask next, but also a question you asked is this idea of vulnerability. You know, you, we started up this conversation with you highlighting how we know ourselves best and even if someone helps you recognize something yourself, you have to take that baton and, and then do the inner work. But then we talked about traumas and then all these elements of inner child. But there's also this element of vulnerability. Now, I know you, you work with a lot of athletes and we, we've started to see it come out maybe now more where athletes are able to say, I, I struggle with depression or, you know, I dealt you know, yeah, it was, who was it? it was John Wall who said he, he recently thought about suicide uh, when all the stuff was happening. That isn't common, especially for a lot of men, black men in general, and a lot of men from several colonized countries, if you will, based on that. I'm wondering if there are other questions that you can offer to the audience so that people can get deeper with themselves and not stay surface level. I really think the book is full of those questions that are chalked with curiosity, because I really believe that anytime you can find the opportunity to be curious with yourself. Because really, most people haven't done that at all. So any questions that you start to engage with yourself, be curious with yourself, will start to move you to a deeper understanding of self. So I think those things that tune in to us as interesting in our lives most often, whatever we're interested in, 
start to be curious about, so why am I interested in that? I like sports. Why? I just like the feeling, the exhilaration of winning and the, hmm, do I love the chase of winning or do I hate and try to avoid losing? It's one of the questions in the book because that's rooted in the fact that it will speak about how I see the world. And it's rooted in the fact that I'm a sports guy. I've been an athlete since I was a kid, and now I work with athletes. So me understanding that the athletic realm was really important, I started asking people in my therapeutic practice this question about winning or losing. Well, that became an important question. I said, maybe everyone could be served by asking themselves if they are more prone to chase the win or avoid the loss. So finding any way to be curious with this, with self is of the utmost importance. And you are right. The book is filled with all these questions. I mean, uh, 40 plus, I, I even think you have more than 40 questions even going through <laughs> some of the questions. <laughs> some of the questions dovetail into so many other things. And I think you're right. I think all these questions will essentially get you to the essence of who you are, who you could be. But a lot of us are operating on this stifled potential. So we don't want to take the risk of failing, <laughs> which is, which, yeah. And so what if I fail? And what if I... I suck and I quit the job and everybody thought I was going to be this. And then we forget that it's ourselves that we're supposed to nurture. There's an interesting thing though, and you see this with athletes, that you can attract abundance and a great opportunity for yourself when you start really just focusing on what you are. I remember Kobe Bryant making air balls during the first, uh, his first few games and people thought, who's this 10 year old kid? What the heck is he thinking? What is he? And you have to figure out how to dig deeper and say, okay, I might make a few more air balls, but I'm about to be a five-time champion. That's 100%. And if we just give ourselves that opportunity, that's what Kobe was good at, is believing in himself. I don't really care whatever, even to his mom and dad. I want you to rock with y'all. I don't care what nobody says. So how do you have a belief in self that's so strong that all else diminishes itself and my belief in self takes over? I think that was part of Kobe's success. I agree. You brought mom and dad. How do you handle that situation when your childhood best friend, your mom and dad, or your guardian isn't serving you anymore? I think this is one of the things that holds many people back. I see it a lot of times where, well, I'm supposed to support them, but they're not supporting you mentally or they're putting you down. What do you do in that situation? We have to readjust to some degree how we see them or who they are in our lives. That I don't, I no longer need you mom, best friend, to be that all-knowing, all-supporting mechanism in my life anymore. Because I may still be seeing you as that, but I don't really need that anymore from you. So I need to adjust that and say, I still love my mom, but I don't need her to be my biggest cheerleader anymore. Cool when I was seven, but I don't need that anymore. And she's not doing a great job of it. And actually, she's now being negative with me because I'm choosing some things that she doesn't necessarily think I should be doing. So instead of cheerleading, now she's coming at me like, why are we doing? Yeah, I don't really need that. Doesn't serve me anymore. So again, if we can see ourselves as the most important person in this world, then it's much easier to say, even to the people that we love and respect, hey, mom, I love you, but I'm going to do something different. And you may not like that. I'm not living this for you. I'm living it for me. And I still love you. But move over. Dr. Yeager, some people call that selfish, though. What would you say? That's okay. That's okay. You call whatever you want to. The fact still remains 
that if I don't understand me and support me in the way I know I need, ain't nobody else going to do it. There's nobody else in the world that's going to support me the way I know I need. And that doesn't mean that I don't love people and support other people, but I have to be number one. I have to. And I'm not saying that that means I got to not give support to other people. I have four sons, a wife, my mom living with me. Very important for me to be supportive. But before I can be a good son, a good husband, a good father, I have to be a good Corey for Corey. Before I can do any of that, I have to be a good me for me. Once I do that, and this is the thing, we always talk about filling other people's cup. I believe in it. But first, mine must be filled to the brim. And everything that flows over after that, everybody else can have. But what do I look like having a quarter-filled glass and still pouring everybody else full glass? And mine over here is a quarter-filled. It got this much in it, and now I'm pouring yours, and it's overflowing from my energy. No, I must be on an energy budget. I got to budget my energy that I have to say, okay, where will I put this energy? Why will I put it there? Let me ask myself the questions of why will I do this? Why should I? Why shouldn't I? And then move with that and be okay and not feel like I'm being selfish. I'm just taking care of myself. And others may see that as selfish because they haven't done it before. But I'm going to do it for me. I often say we live in a world of darkness because many people have dimmed their light. I'm an angry optimist. so I'm not trying to paint it as this broad thing. But it's this idea of, you know, you hear people say, I could have been that. I wanted to be that. But I should be that. Yeah. And I'm always like, well, you know, what, what is your light now? Like, what is lighting that fire inside you? Like, ah, I can't do it anymore. So, you know what? You remind me, when you say that, it reminds me of a concept. There's a dude named Jean-Paul Sartre, who is an existentialist. I'm a philosopher, an existentialist. Why do we exist? What are we here for? Kind of that in that realm. And he had a concept that he came up with, and the concept was called bad faith. And what bad faith describes is that we will tell ourselves lie after lie that we can't do something different. So if I'm working in a job that I hate and barely paying my bills, I will tell myself the story that I can't leave that job. I got to stay. It's the only way I can pay my bills. But if we slow down, we know that is not true. So we're saying in, we're moving in bad faith. We've told ourselves a lie. I can't change jobs because I'm barely making it. That's not true. Yes, you can. You can change jobs. You can find something different, but you continue to tell yourself this lie over and over and over again. I choose not to tell myself those lies. You certainly do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, so but I, I do want it because this could go on forever because I have so many thoughts. But where can people get your book? Because it is, if you think this is just a, an insightful conversation, just imagine what will come out of reading books. And where can people get your book? You can find it on any online bookstore, Amazon, Google Dr. Corey Yeager. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook, everywhere. You can, if you Google my name, Dr. Corey Yeager, you'll find all kinds of spaces that you can find the book. I hope the book serves people and supports people in a meaningful way. Well, make sure to put that in the show notes. And before you go, I have a final question. My personal statement is use your difference to make a difference. So. How do you, Dr. Yeager, use your difference to make a difference? I use my difference by pointing out to others that they can be whatever it is that they choose to be, that there will be obstacles in that process. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but whatever you choose to be and do, you can pursue it and do it. 
I wanted to be in the pro athlete realm. I want, but I thought it was going to be me playing, but it wasn't. It was me doing what I'm doing now, but I still made it to the pro athlete realm. So we can do whatever we choose. So it may look different, but I get to be a facilitator and supporter of that work. And that's what I'm always excited about. There you have it. Yo, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been really, I mean, very insightful, very inspiring as well. And now I feel like I have a battery in my back. So <laughs> I'm ready to take on the world. So thank you so much for giving us the time. Thanks, boss. Appreciate you. Anytime. Kings, queens, and royalty. Until next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.